Well, good morning. Really nice to see you here at Staines Kong this morning. Um, oh, got our church secretary back. I hope you were listening to the song. Uh, Nathan's going to teach it to us. We're going to straight into worship this morning. We are more than conquerors in Christ. So thank you, band. And they're going to uh, teach you the song and then going to straight into another song. Yeah, if our God is for us, who can stand against us? Uh, another version of uh, Romans 8, which actually says, who can be against us? Uh, I love these verses. It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. We'll talk about mercy later on uh, in Nick's sermon. And it's verse thir- 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're going to uh, teach you the verse and the chorus. We're going to go verse 1, verse 2, chorus. Then I'll ask you guys to stand and we'll go through the whole song. So Sam, if you want to click us in. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the life. That's in my soul Oh, your resurrection power Burns like fire in my heart When waters rise I lift my eyes up to your throne want to stand and join in. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the life, you are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise, I lift my eyes up to your throne. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, O Lord, our God, our conqueror. I will sing into the night. Christ is risen and on high. Greater is he living in me than in the world. No surrender, no retreat. 
are free and weary teens. We will declare over despair, you are the hope. To sin or to shame, we are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, O oh Lord, our God, our conqueror. Nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable with you. We are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. With you, we are victorious. Nothing is Every chain is breakable with you. We are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. You are greater than the dark. With you, we are victorious. To sin or to shame, we are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, O Lord, our God, our conqueror. Stay standing. We're saying there's nothing like a God who's always there. Nothing like a God who wants to share. Nothing like a God who really cares. No other God like you. Nothing like a God who's always there Nothing like a God who wants to share Nothing like a God who really cares There's no other God like you There's nothing like a God who's always there Nothing like a God who wants to share Nothing like a God who really cares 
Yes, there's no other God like you. Moses made his problem at the mighty Red Sea. Pharaoh was chasing just as fast as could be. But you held up the water so your people could flee. There's no other God like you. Now Daniel's on the menu for the lions one night. Gave King Darius such a terrible fight. But you closed up their mouths so they couldn't even fight. There's no other God like you. There's nothing like a God who's always there. Nothing like a God who wants to share. Nothing like a God who really cares. There's no other God like you. Elijah's outnumbered by the prophets of Baal. He's barely asleep or just feeling pale. Elijah tips on water, then you fire up your altar. There's no other God like you. Jesus, you're my Lord and you are my King. Jesus, you're my Savior and my everything. Jesus, you're my song and that is why I sing. There's no other God like you. There's nothing like a God who's always there. Nothing like a God who wants to share. Nothing like a God who really cares. There's no other God like you. There's nothing like a God who's always there. Nothing like a God who wants to share. Nothing like a God who really cares. There's no other God like. There's no other God like. There's no other God like you. Well, I hope you're warmed up and you're worshipping. And you're ready just to meet with God and take God seriously. Have a, have a seat for a moment. And we sang in that song, Every Chain is Breakable. That's really quite a statement, isn't it? And just have a quiet moment. Okay, and I just wonder what's been chaining you down. Whether anxiety's got the better of you. Or stress or relationships. Just close your eyes for a second. Let's come before the Lord. Lord, you tell us, because it's written in your word, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And Lord, we know even as we sit here this morning that there are areas of our lives which you have not conquered. And Lord, where that's been our own deliberate fault, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, where that's in weakness, we ask for your strength. But whichever way, we ask you, Father God, to be glorified in our lives today by breaking into places that we have been chained, that we have not allowed you to reach, that we might walk out being able to say afresh that you've reached new areas of our lives and we are conquerors, more than conquerors, in Christ. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thanks for your presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that we might glorify you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good ask Bill to come and just give us news from around the church family. What better way to worship God than to do some notices? I think God enjoys the notices, isn't it? I hope I'm right, because otherwise I'm in trouble. 
First of all, uh, services here. There's, uh, there's no evening service here this evening. We'll be joining our friends at Ashford Congregational Church, and that's a, a six o'clock start. So uh, if you need a lift there or anything like that, please let one of us know, and we'll do our best to uh, make sure you get there. Details of my mother-in-law, Sheila's funeral, are in family news uh, today. If you haven't got that, I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be on the 22nd of uh, February, which is in uh, two and a half weeks' time. And if you need any more information, I haven't got family news, please just let us know, and we'll give you all the details. On the 25th of February, there's a pancake party. I'm sure that's going to be brilliant. And uh, that is being run by Sarah or Heather, I think... Uh, Certainly Sarah's here, but I can't see Heather at the moment. She's, uh, I can see Sarah, but I can't see Heather. Anyway, this is Heather's, this is Heather, Heather's not better half, Mark. So if you want to know anything about that, see either Sarah, who's sat just here, or Mark, who's sat just there. If you, that's if you want to come or if you want to help. Um, there's a performance of the Barnabas... Sorry, there's a performance of Barnabas the Encourager this afternoon at Staines Methodist Church, if anybody's interested. Uh, do you know what time that starts? Any ideas? No, we don't know what time that starts. 4 p.m. There you go, 4 p.m. So, uh, Staines Methodist Church, which is in the centre of town. So, uh, again, if you're interested and don't know where it is, just let one of us know and we'll, we'll let you know how to get there. Even better, there's an option to participate as well. So, there you go. Um, cameo, the next cameo is going to be on the 4th of March. Can you let Debbie know if you're coming, please? And Debbie sat right in the middle on this side somewhere, but I'm sure you can find if anybody asks, say, who do I let to, want, want to know about Cameo from? They will let Debbie know, or point you in the direction of, of Debbie. And finally, um, this is in Family News this week and on the website as well. Nolan and Tricia Richards are coming here on the 8th of April. Please see uh, details in Family News for, uh, well, details and for tickets. Um, they have been here before. They had a really, we had a really good evening with them last time. If you don't know, uh, Noel and Tricia both write uh, uh, worship songs, and uh, you're bound to know some of the stuff that they write. So, uh, if you don't, if you don't know who they are, come and see me, and I can uh, I can fill you in on that one anyway. And that's it for me for the moment. Who knows what a proverb is? What's a what's a proverb? Sarah. Okay. I was in full flow. I just started. (laughs) Easily forgotten. Um, So in uh, Espresso Church and home groups, youth home groups over the last couple of weeks, uh, well, last three or four weeks, we've been looking at relationships and marriage, and it's been a really interesting time for exploring those subjects. Um, Espresso Church last time, Celia really brilliantly came and gave her testimony about what it's like to live a single life. And what I'd really love is for a married couple to do the same and come and give a five to ten minute testimony at Espresso Church um, one evening very soon, actually, if that's possible. Um, So what I'm really looking for is for somebody to come and share the blessings of marriage and also the challenges and, and how God's worked through that in their life together. So if you could have a little think about that, a chat about that, pray about that. And if you think that's something you could do, um, give me a call or email me. That would be brilliant. Okay, thanks. There you go, Mark. I think that was a call, you know. I think it was a... <coughs> Somebody was going to tell me what a proverb was. Yeah, Madeline. Story with a meaning. Yeah, have you got an example? Has anybody got an example of a proverb? Can you think? Yeah, Jan. Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's kind of like, yeah, like a parable. Yeah. I think it's something a little bit shorter. Anybody know any really good proverbs? 
Yeah, he's got the one I was going for. Molly, what were you going for? Wow, who woke up? The emperor. Fantastic. Okay, I don't know that one, but, I don't, but thank you. Okay, give me a good proverb. Otherwise, I'm going with Marx. Marx is? Stitch in time saves nine. Stitch in time saves nine. Okay, that's a proverb. Um, what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean? A stitch in time saves nine. Okay. Okay, uh, what? It means what? The, the proverb is a stitch in time saves nine. Okay. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, if you sew things up at home, you save money. I don't think that's what, it, I don't think that's what it's about. But, but that is part of the wisdom of Proverbs, is actually knowing how to understand the Proverbs. Come on, somebody grown up, what does that mean? Stitch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is it just about clothing? No, it's just sometimes if something's going wrong, if you get in at the start, it saves you a whole heap of trouble later on. And there was somebody who wrote a whole load of Proverbs. In fact, there's a whole book of Proverbs in the Bible. It's one of my favorite books for the Bible. Um, And it's written by a guy called Solomon, who um, Sunday Club guys, you're going to find out uh, about in a little bit of time. And so Proverbs, it's a great book to read. You might want to skip the first kind of nine or ten chapters, uh, which is an introduction, then get into the Proverbs Um, properly, and there's some really fantastic and funny proverbs. Um, But I just want to read you a bit from the beginning so that you get an idea who Solomon is just for your um, Sunday club later on. These are the proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, and they're for gaining wisdom and instruction, they're for understanding words of insight, okay, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, okay, so it's for knowing how to act in all kinds of different circumstances. Doing what is right and just and fair. So, Sam, if you want to know how to be right and just and fair, you know, it's one of Sam's passions in life. Oh, poor boy, I do tease him. It's kind of... <laughs> then you read Proverbs, and you know what to do. It's for giving prudence to those who are simple. And those who are simple are those who don't know, don't know what to do. Okay. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Okay, if you want to be wise while you're young. Okay, then read, read some Proverbs. Actually, what's the difference between being wise and being clever? Ooh. Go on, then. Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're pretty close. He says, clever is knowing information. And, and, uh, and being wise is kind of about doing it. Were you going to say something similar? Yeah, I think you're right. I think clever can simply be stuff like maths. It can just be knowledge. Uh, and wise is knowing how to do the right thing, isn't it? Kind of the right time. Really, that's brilliant. Well done. So, so he says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. Okay. But this is the next. The two things he says are, are kind of like, he says the first things, if you want to be wise, know how to do the right thing. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to be wise, the fear of the Lord is the place to start. There's no other place to start but with fearing God. In other words, respecting him um, for who he is. And then do you know what the first thing he says uh, after that is? You're going to love this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. (laughs) Isn't that great? Okay. 
Round of applause from parents. There we go. Okay, so Solomon, he's, he's renowned for being really, really wise king. Okay, uh, and what does he say? He says, the fear of the Lord is the first thing you need to do. And then the next thing he says, he's listen to your mum and dad. Okay, but I want to ask you another question. Who was the person who has most feared the Lord ever? And shown it in the way they lived. Jesus. Okay, Jesus. Okay, who is the person who has obeyed their father all the time, every time, all their lives? Jesus. Okay. So who is ultimately the really, really wise person? Jesus. So Solomon's a really wise king. He's got lots of great things to say. Um, But actually, in some ways, he just points to Jesus. Jesus is the really wise man. I'm going to pray and just thank God that he gives us all these examples to learn from. So, Father God, we just want to give you thanks for the life of Solomon and all these Proverbs, great wisdom for everyday life. And they make us, sometimes we're not wise, sometimes we just don't know what to do. But you've written down lots of instructions for all kinds of different circumstances. But we thank you too that we can look to Christ, the only truly wise man, the only man who obeyed his father all the time, and the one who ultimately shows what fear of the Lord looks like in practice. We thank you for Jesus. And we praise you in his name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing again. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet. Hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. And while we sing this, we'll, we'll take up our offering so if the uh, uh, stewards can come round. Amazing, steady and unchanging Your love is a mountain firm beneath my feet Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me When I am surrounded, your love carries me Your love is surprising, I can feel it rising, all the joy that's growing deep inside of me. Every time I see you, all your goodness shines through, I can feel this God song rising up in me. Sing Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Your love makes me sing Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Your love makes me sing Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. 
me sing hallelujah 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 your love makes me sing Father God, you're so good to us, so good to us in practical ways, so good to us in Christ. Um, Lord, this is our worship back to you. This is the measure of our affection in monetary terms. And we ask, Father God, it will be used to your glory. Lord, we pray we will see people saved in stains and see people saved through our mission partners around the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Please have a seat. We need to think about birthdays. Believe there are some birthdays this week. So, any of our young people had a birthday today or this last week or next week? Say that again. Your granddaughter was born this morning. Well, how excited! What's she called? It's a Hebrewish biblical name. Yeah, I've got it So it's a little girl, and she weighed how much? Uh, six, two. six two. And you may realise, <gasps> Molly, are you going to come? You could come and have a card. Fantastic. Molly, because I knew Molly had a birthday this week. Um, we also, um, Jean Smith um, had a little, was it a granddaughter? In the week, wasn't it? That's right. So, um, so what an exciting week. Hey, Molly, would you like to choose a card? What do you reckon? Just have a flick through. He's looking for the pink one. You're looking for the pink one? Oh, the pink one's the best. Oh, that's a good one. Fantastic. Can we say happy birthday and pray for you? And how old were you this week? Um, I'm three still. You're what? I'm three still. You're three still. Okay, fantastic. Four. Four tomorrow. I see... Good, brilliant. Turn it over and just um, open it the other side. That's fantastic. Father God, we just want to pray uh, uh, for Molly. And we pray, Lord, for a, a year of growing up in the Lord and growing up in strength and just protect her in all ways. Pray for a fantastic year. We thank you uh, for new life, birth uh, in our families. And we just give you praise, Lord, because there have been tragedies, Lord, in these weeks, and we acknowledge that. But, Lord, we celebrate the births and the birthdays as well as gifts from your hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Brilliant. Let me pray for our young people and then they can go to their, go to their activities. <coughs> Father God, we just thank you for all our young people and we pray, Lord, as they go now to their activities, we pray they have fun, pray that they know that they're loved, we pray that they learn more about Jesus and, Lord, more uh, how to live in worship of him. Amen. You can go. Could you play us a bit of that again as they go?
So pull out your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. This is one of those great stories of the Bible, great in a kind of disastrous kind of way. We're going to read about the golden calf from Exodus um, 32. It's on page 90 in the Blue Bibles. Moses, uh, well, let's go back a verse. Let's go back, sorry. Go back to... um, Chapter 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So Moses has been up on the mountain uh, and he has been meeting with God face to face and God has inscribed uh, his covenant with his people on tablets of stone. What's happening Um, down at the bottom? Well, this is what's happening. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Okay, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing. I'll just put that lower down. And bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are the gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented. And did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory, 
It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. And then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewellery, take it off. And then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. It is laughable, isn't it? Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbour. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. And then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out. Of my book. Now go, lead these people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. I think we'd better pray. Father God, teach us from this passage today Lord, it's about sin and idolatry it's about the speed with which they turn away from you but our hearts are no different from their hearts we ask Lord that you help us see ourselves See what lessons can be learned that we need to hear from you today. Thank you that you are our great and gracious God. We know from the start that provision has been made. Should we have sinned, should we have fallen into sin? But help us to learn today about both your greatness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask you whether these things that I'm going to put up on the screen are, um, 
are your Christian experience. So is this your Christian experience? Let's have the first one. A realisation of being trapped. Next. And then kind of God stepped in. Uh, You took hold of of the sacrifice um, that was offered for you. You realised there was a sacrifice of Christ. You took hold of it. You were baptised at some point. You learned then to keep in step with the Spirit. And you're learning and you've learned um, what it is to, to live in dependence on God. And you live under God's word. And you come to communion. The one in red is for those who want to do the word searches and, and find the words there on the side there if you need that help. Is that your Christian experience? Because that is the experience of the people of Israel in, in the book of Exodus. Okay, they, had a, they were trapped. Uh, and, and they were trapped. They were in slavery. In slavery to a power greater than them. They were in slavery to Satan as expressed in Pharaoh. God stepped in, didn't he? Sent them a rescuer, sent them Moses. They took hold of the sacrifice that was offered, the Passover lamb, but they had to do that. They had to paint the blood on the doorposts of their lives. They were baptised, in effect, as they went through the water. There was a decisive victory over the powers that stood against them. And then they learned to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, we feel like you ought to feel like you know, that was fairly straightforward to them because, this, because God was there present in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. So keeping in step just meant following where it went. They learnt about living in dependence on God. They had manna um, six days a week, but not on the seventh. You remember that story? And that teaches them to live in dependence on the bread of God. And, and then they come to the mountain and God, gives them, God makes a covenant with them. Um, they, they are God's people living under his word. And then they have, a, they have a tabernacle. That is the place of communion. That's the place where they meet with God, where they kind of like the sacrifices uh, uh, are, are killed, are made, kind of day by day, week by week, so that they can come in communion uh, with God. Of course, we don't make a sacrifice again and again. As we come to communion, we don't need to because we have Christ, who's, who's a sacrifice uh, once and for all. So... Does that surprise you? I think that's deliberate. Is it not deliberate in God's intent that they kind of experience, uh, that your experience of walking in Christ has been illustrated um, ahead of time in the lives of Israel? And it shouldn't surprise us, because Paul says um, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, and that was Jesus. In other words, they related to God, even uh, even though they didn't know it, through Christ... And they're saved by the same sacrifice. You remember last week we were seeing that their sacrifices they made were all ineffective. Okay, there's only one effective sacrifice and that was Christ. And Paul says in Romans that he overlooked their sins until Christ came. And then they were effectively paid for. So it shouldn't surprise us then that there are parallels. It is not the same because they're before Christ, we're after Christ, but there are parallels between their experience and ours. So here they are, rescued. God is, God is in the very process uh, of uh, writing down his, his covenant with them, expressing it with them, calling them uh, to be his people, and then disaster. They, they fall um, almost before they've even begun. And that sense is quite reminiscent of kind of um, uh, Adam and Eve. 
Because you, we don't actually get to hear the time scale between God creating Adam and Eve and them falling. But the sense is, isn't it, that it's, that it's quite short. Uh, it, it's not very long. And so Adam and Eve, they fall into this temptation. They want to run their own world, their own way. And the same is true here. No sooner uh, as God established Israel as his covenant people, then they're trying to worship him by their own devices rather than by his revelation. And so the irony is this, that in Exodus 25, uh, God has said, let them make a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst them. He's made provision for him to be present. uh, And now they feel, uh, because Moses isn't there, that that God is absent. And in God's absence, they're going to kind of try um, and, and sort this out for themselves. And don't you think Aaron sounds a little bit like um, Adam and Eve? He passes the book. You know these people, these people are evil. They said to be makers gods. And he sounds a bit like Eve and, and her excuse making. The weakest of all excuses perhaps in the Bible. They gave me this gold. I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. It's wonderful. Okay. And what's actually really clear is that um, it actually says he made it with his own tools. So, Aaron, this is a DIY God. Okay, Aaron got his toolkit out um, and, uh, and fashioned a calf. So, if we've seen so far that all these experiences of Israel have had things to say about our Christian life, then the question is, in this very quick uh, um, fall into temptation, what are we going to learn as Christians in the Christian life? Okay. One of the things that's happened this, uh, in the last week or so, um, not only has the weather got warmer, but I've put the third boiler on in the boiler house. So it's nice and warm here this morning. So I wonder, uh, Bill, would you mind just opening that window there? Okay. And uh, I know it's not that great, but I can just see kind of like, you know, a, a few struggles. And maybe we could open one over there. Alex, you, you kind of open that one next to you. That would be good. What do, we, what, do we learn about, what do we learn about sin? <clears throat> well, the first thing we learn is, is you have to say that, that sin is a crazy loss of perspective. You're right. Yeah, there we go. Sin, sin, is, sin is... Well, when you see it in these terms, it's, it's just kind of bonkers, isn't it? it? Is it not kind of crass stupidity? Here are a bunch of people... Who, who have been, um, they've been out that morning and they've, they've presumably kind of collected, uh, collected manna that, that God's provided for them. So they, they've seen God's provision. Presumably they've seen the pillar of cloud. They know that God is presence with them. They've, they've heard God's promises. Okay, Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days, but it's not kind of like it, that it's been six months or a year. And they choose something which is handmade over the eternal. Sin is bonkers. But sin has not changed. And do you not think that every time then that we sin, we make a, we make a choice to let God down, then these same things are actually true. We forget the provision God's made. God, so sin involves then forgetting the cross, Ignoring the indwelling spirit of God and turning a deaf ear uh, to the promises that God has made. We are not 
that different from them. So sin, acts of sin, when you, you attempted this week to kind of let God down or do something which you know is not in God's, um, God's will, or to just compromise between your, your values, you know, values of this world and, and the values of, of, of the church, then just remember that sin is an offence to the cross. It's a grief to the spirit and it's a snub to God's promises. So sin is a crazy loss of perspective. Sin, it's also, there is, I think there's always an aspect of idolatry um, to sin. And here's a great definition. I want you to think about this. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. That's from an ancient document, um, I imagine that's 17th century Heidelberg Catechism. But read that again. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God has revealed himself in his word. And we just see it really clearly here, don't we? Just this is graphic uh, in, in, the, in the passage. And Psalm 106 says, They exchanged the glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. In case you didn't know what a bull was and what a bull did. Okay. Um, they exchanged the eternal God for an image of a bull um, which eats grass. And Paul says the same in Romans. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie uh, and worshipped and served created things. Is there a place in your life where there is something, something real or an invention of your mind which you feel you must have, that that you trust in instead of God or in addition to God? It could be an object, couldn't it? Something you feel you must have. You must have a house. You must have a certain standard of living. You must ha- have a car. Or it might be a kind of, some kind of power that you must have. Or you, maybe you feel like, I must have enough money in the bank to get me out of trouble. I must have a kind of certain level of power in my job. I must have respect in my family. I must have a certain level of approval. I must have a certain level of popularity must have a certain level of sexual gratification. In the end, only you know. But Peter says this, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. All kinds of things might have come in and taken away from you that trust which which should have been um, in, in God alone. And, well, sin, you know, we look at what was the idol they made. Here it is, it's a, it's a golden bull. So it's probably not a, a calf. You notice in the psalmist they call it a bull, and I think it's, that's an acceptable translation from, from Exodus. The fact that they've... <coughs> so often sin, sin is a gold bull. Okay. Where has this gold bull crept his mooing way into your life. Okay. Because the fact that it's a bull suggests kind of trust in 
God plus your own strength. And that's essentially what they're doing, is they've decided they're going to have God, but they'll have a God of their own invention um, alongside. Sometimes we want to have God plus our own strength. We want to say, I will trust in God, but I want out of my own strength to have this kind of, uh, this security. Which is usually kind of like, you know, house, car, reserve in the bank. So sometimes it's those things of our own strength. Quite often it's, it is about gold. So strength, you know, the John Bull. I like to think we're John Bull. Sometimes it is about gold. It's about the bull market. But actually, you see, um, the bull is an image of fertility. You know, in all those religions around, the bull is a, is a, is a, picture, of, uh, is a picture of fertility. I want God. I want God. But I want some of what the world has over here. The world, the world has this love of kind of um, sexual imagery, sexy pictures. I went on a website. What was I can't remember. I can't even remember what I was looking for. Um, I was looking for the video of that song we sang at the beginning. Um, and what did I find? The first thing that came up on, on, the, on the screen... Uh, is a picture of Mariah Carey with not a mass of clothes on. This is the culture in which we live and you cannot escape it. And the question is, where are we going to stand? Sin is so often a gold ball. Okay. Because it is, it is so often one of, one of those three things. And Aaron, under pressure, you see, he has compromised. Um, it says at the beginning the people gathered. Um, there is kind of a slight sense of menace about that. They came as a group before, before, uh, before Aaron, and they say, make us gods. And Aaron does that, and he uses the Lord's name, but creates a, a god in a different form, something they've already been told not to do. He's, he's made this compromise. He says, you can have the Lord, and you can have this. You can have a bit of fertility religion to, to go along with it. You can... And what happens? People, uh, they come, they bring, they bring uh, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then they sat down to eat. So they bring the offering to the Lord. And then they sit down to eat the meat that's come um, from the offering. And then they head off. Have a nice orgy, thank you. So the people are happy to worship God, but they want him on their own terms, and they want to combine him with, a little, with some worldliness, please, and a bit of indulgence. Tim Chester says they want forgiveness from God, but they don't want to do his will. A book I read recently suggests that 50% of Christians have a problem with sex or porn addiction. Um, seem to be talking about it a lot at the moment. Um, but if that's right, then there's good reason um, to talk about it. Sex is a great thing. We, we had this conversation at Espresso Church last time out. It's a great thing in the right context, and that context is marriage. And sex is a pointer of a greater gratification yet to come. Did you realise that? No, you will if you were there. Um, sex is a pointer to a greater gratification, which is uh, when we meet Christ uh, and when we meet him in the new heaven and, and the new earth.
that life in the presence of God. So I just want you to, I just want you to think it through as you go away today. Are you one of those people who's saying, I, I own the Lord and I own the Lord's name, but over here, it, it is just too hard to kind of fight all, all this stuff uh, that, that the culture throws at me. And actually, I don't mind a bit of that, and I'm going to have a little bit of um, sexual gratification um, that comes outside the context uh, of my husband or my wife, whether that's in reality or whether that's in fantasy. And this is an interesting comment from Tim Chester. He says, as Christians, we worry that if we don't compromise, that the culture will not respect us. As Christians, we worry that if we don't compromise, if we don't shift a little bit this way, that the culture will not respect us. And actually, entirely the opposite is true. The wider world reviles us because we're no different. That's the bad news. What's the good news? Well, there's just... Moses is amazing. Moses intercedes. This is an insight from Tim Chester. He says that, that God implicitly invites Moses to pray. And I think that's kind of true. I think you can see that. Um, God says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, uh, into a great nation. That's quite an offer, isn't it? Go away, leave me alone, so that my anger may burn. And then I'll make you great. And Moses does not leave God alone. Quite the opposite. He intervenes and he intercedes and he prays and God changes his mind. The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. We haven't got time to go into the mystery of the fact does God really change his mind. Um, if, if you want my answer, no, he doesn't. Okay, God has everything planned from the beginning to the end. Actually, I've been reading, um, been reading this. This is a fun read. Oops. Um, evangelical and congregational. It's kind of like it's... Um, but it does have uh, the thing in the back called the Savoy Declaration, which is like the, um, it's like the Westminster Confession. Uh, it's the historic um, statement of faith on, on which congregationalism is, is built. And that will very clearly tell you that, that God has everything planned and, and degreed from the beginning to the end. So does God change his mind? Well, you know, technically no, but, but in appearance, Yes. Tim Chester says this, we, free, we freely choose to pray what God has freely chosen that we should. And God freely chooses to respond to the prayers he has ordained, we would say. So God intends to use our prayers to be the means by which he changes the world. And he decides to use our prayer to change his decisions. Okay, go and read it for yourself. Okay, it's just... Um, but if God is sovereign, then, then actually he has... Uh, then he has said one thing, uh, I, and then he has ordained that we will pray, 
uh, uh, because he wants the things to change. So actually, it doesn't matter whether God changes his mind or not. Theologically, what happens is that practically he does. But just invite you to be persistent. It's just really struck me uh, in the last couple of weeks. I think I've had two quite significant prayers answered. I won't tell you what they are. Um, one, one I've been praying for about five years. One I was praying for about three years. Okay, and I just wonder whether God's trying to tell me something. Okay, which is if you're serious about something in prayer, don't stop. Okay, don't stop. Be persistent. And there are are quite a few occasions in in the Bible where God says, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. He says it in Deuteronomy, before the people go into the promised land. He says it in the Psalms. He says it when the people are in exile in Jeremiah. There's an implication in the ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. There's a continuing aspect to that. If you, are ask, if you are asking, it will be given to you. If you are asking, I think that's true. If you're not asking, then, um, hey, what are you about to expect? The other thing, um, uh, interesting thing Tim Chester says, is that God invites you to use arguments. Now, I, I, I'm quite struck with that, because I think I, I, I possibly would have said the opposite. I'm not sure. Um, it, it's, you're not... The, trying to twist God's arm to tell him, well, if you don't give me an, uh, a new job, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, it's not a twisting the arm kind of argument. But what does Moses say? He says, why should your anger burn against your people um, whom you brought out of Egypt? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out? So Moses goes to God and says, you will damage your reputation if you do this. So you can go to God and say, glorify yourself, please, Lord, in this. Lord, in our church, we want to see more people saved. And it's not because we're trying to twist your arm, but we want to see your name um, glorified. You can call on his mercy, as, uh, as Moses does. Please, please don't do this, Lord. Please have mercy. I do that quite a lot, I think. I hate the concept of people going to hell, but I believe it to be true. I go, please, Lord, don't. Please save them, Lord. And Moses lays the claim on, on God's promises. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore. God, you have made a promise, and I'm going to claim it. So I think you can use arguments. So Moses, Moses intercedes, Moses disciplines. I think this is the hardest part of this passage. The people are running wild. That's, that's what we're told. They're running wild. Wow. Imagine you kind of got, how, how big is the nation of Israel? Hundreds of thousands of people. And, it, and they're running wild. It, it's out of control. Aaron's compromise approach to religion and to church unity has drastically backfired. Compromise does not discourage sin. It actually takes away the restraints of sin. And Moses wants the people to regain self-control. He is angry, um, but in that he's only reflecting God's heart. <clears throat> and you should want a bit of that out of your leaders. Okay, not that they should run amok with a sword. Okay. We, we don't encourage John and Ernie to do that. It's just, um, nor the deacons. God forbid. Um, but we are going to be looking for new elders and, and new deacons. 
Um, and you want leaders who have a desire for God's glory, not a desire simply to indulge the people. That's one of the things you should look for. People have made themselves a laughing stock in front of the surrounding nations. You want leaders who can see that. Moses and God both bring, both bring judgment in their own way. Moses with a sword, God with a plague. And Moses calls the people to come over to the Lord's side. So it's like they've gone right over here, haven't they? They've gone right over here and Moses stands on this side and says, who is on the Lord's side? Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And who comes? His own tribe. Interesting. The Levites, they they come to him. They see the need for discipline, for control, for righteousness. And they come and do their painful duty. Even when it's to their neighbours and friends. And from that time on, they are set apart for leadership because they have shown that they can take painful responsibility amongst God's people. You should want that of your leaders as well. Out of any elders you'd like to appoint. And we instinctively feel that the death penalty is too severe. But sin and death are always intrinsically linked. Sin leads to death. Other way around, death is the ultimate consequence of sin. Death, Tim Chester says, is sin made visible. Death is sin made visible. And and the point for us is that sin is killing your spiritual life. Sin is killing your spiritual life. But I want you to hear that call, and we'll put that into practice in a minute. Who is on the Lord's side? But then, uh, try and kind of move on. Moses offers a substitute. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. He's going to go back up the mountain. Uh, Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Heads up back up the mountain. What's he taking with him? He doesn't have anything to make atonement with. He goes back up to the Lord. He says, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive them. But if not, blot me out of the book you have written. Blot me out of the book. Moses offers to be the substitute. My life for theirs. Lord, forgive them, but if not, will you blot me out? Instead, write them in, blot me out. It's just a foreshadow of Christ. Calvary, of course, isn't it? Jesus is blotted out of God's book. For those three days, Jesus is blotted out so that your name can be written in. Which book is it? It's the book of life. It's the guest list for the, um, for the heavenly wedding. Somebody's going to check. And it's a continuing invitation. It is Peter and John, I think, in Acts 3, saying to their hearers, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Or in a different translation, blotted out. There's still an open invitation that you can come to Christ. Repent, that means turn away from what you have been doing. Turn to God. Trust what Christ has done and your sins are blotted out. And your name is written into the book of life. And Revelation, the one who's victorious, will be dressed in white and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. So quickly, in practice, 
Every instance of sin is a crazy lot of loss of perspective. So in the midst of temptation, you've just got to try and get perspective. Just remember that, that sin is going to be an, uh, an offence to the cross, a grief to the spirit, um, and a snub to the promises of God. So return to the cross, or, re- or just remind yourself of the spirit's presence in your life, or um, look again at God's promises. Sin has something about idolatry about it. What is it you can't do without? What are the things you, you trust? What are the things you feel you insist have to be in your control? Which would you really struggle to give up? Only you are going to know, but you might want to ask the Spirit of God to come and just lay that on your heart. Sin continued becomes compromise. And this really, I think, is... The, the, cuts, we tend to try to settle down somewhere in the gap between the standards of the gospel and the standards of the world. That's the heart of it, isn't it? Here are the standards of the gospel. Here are the standards of the world. And we pick a point. We pick a point. Here, here, here. Isn't it a good thing that Jesus has made provision. Jesus substitutes himself. Jesus, you know that, don't you? Jesus disciplines. But he doesn't run amok with his sword. He doesn't ask his elders to run amok with his sword. That's really good news. You've got to be thankful for that. But you do want them to come and bring the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, and apply it in a kind of uh, proactive is the wrong word I can't remember the word ahead of time kind of discipline so that we don't fall into sin and Jesus intercedes and that brings us back to Romans 8 who's the one that condemns before God in God's throne room who's the one who condemns no one because Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us that's the good news. So I just want you to hear this call. I want you to hear this call. Um, and it's not, really, it's not from me. Um, and it's not from Moses. So, uh, so I guess it's from Jesus. In this chaotic orgy of a world. Where sex and money and hubris are objects of worship. Whoever is for the Lord. Come to me. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. That's Jesus. Just Can you picture him kind of standing here? I'm just saying, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Step out of the crowd. Step out of the compromise. Move away. And whoever is for the Lord, come to me. Guys, are you going to come and lead us in some worship? We're just going to sing a song about the Lamb. Behold the Lamb, who bears our sin away. I'm just going to invite um, John, if you'd like to come and set up communion while they're doing this. Yeah.
And as we get through about the third or fourth verse, come deacons, can you just come up to the, come up, and then we're going to um, we're going to take communion. We're going to do it in a slightly different way. And to remember 
So have a seat for a moment, but I'm going to ask you to do something different. I think the song has explained what we're about to do. Um, We're about uh, to remember uh, what Christ uh, has done for us. The the, the song has explained it. Um, But I want you to hear that call this morning. And the call is, who is on the Lord's side? And as Moses shouts, come to me. He says, come to me if you're on the Lord's side. If you're on the Lord's side, I want you to come this morning. Um, And I want you to express that by by standing up and coming uh, and receiving communion uh, at the front of church. It's just a a slight difference uh, for this morning. So I encourage you uh, to come. In a a moment, um, maybe Nathan will just play some music. um, And you just come when you're ready. Now, just do so we don't all bump into each other. Can I suggest that you come forwards down the middle and backwards up the sides? So if you're there, I know that means you've got a long way to go, but it means that everybody does one circuit. Okay, so if you go up that way, back down the middle, come down the middle, and then you can receive the bread. You can pause for a minute. Um, You can receive the wine. Um, Don't make two circuits. Um, And then go and sit down and just reflect. If you've got a real mobility problem, uh, will you wave? And Tracy um, will bring you the bread and wine. Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that like Moses, he comes into your presence. He offers himself as a substitute, as a sacrifice for our sin. Um, We recognize that he disciplines. We recognize today uh, his right to discipline. But we know he also intercedes. He stands in your presence and prays for us. And today we are going to express uh, that we want to come to you. We're just going to express it by getting out of our seats. We pray you will be here by your spirit. And strengthen our hearts as we take hold of what Christ has done. So this is for those who have taken hold of Christ, or if today you want to take hold of Christ, then come um, and do this. But we're just going to play some music, and then it might be slightly counting. That doesn't matter. Um, just come as you're ready. Let's go.
don't wait to drink with everybody else. Just come and uh, eat and drink. And... Mm-hmm. 
God of grace, I turn my face to you. I cannot hide my nakedness, my shame, my guilt are all before your eyes. Strivings and all anguished dreams in, in rags lie at my feet and only grace provides the way for me to stand complete and your grace clothes me in righteousness and your mercy covers me in love and your life adorns and beautifies and I stand complete in you. So Nathan, can we sing that once and then go into the a final song? Thanks. God of grace, I turn my face to you. I cannot hide my nakedness, my shame, my guilt are all before your eyes. Strivings and all anguish dreams in rags lie at my feet and only grace provides the way for me to stand complete and your grace clothes me in righteousness and your mercy covers me in love your life adorns and beautifies I stand complete in you I stand Too high. 
hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil My anchor holds within the veil So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites ran into him. And Jesus says, All who will, come to me. And we come, Lord, we come, Lord Jesus, because there is nowhere else to go, because we know we have got blood on our hands. We know there is guilt in our hearts, um, like there was for, for Israel, as they put up before them a golden calf. And Lord, we pray that uh, as he creeps around our lives this week, we will find new resolve to rally to you, to the cross, to the presence of your spirit, to the knowledge of your promises um, to resist. And we thank you, we know that when we do, it's a solid rock. It's a solid rock, we are forgiven. Whatever has happened is paid for. So send us out, Lord, this, this week, strengthened to live and work to your praise and glory and to no longer compromise but to live wholeheartedly for you. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.
Please have a seat and let me just invite you through. Um, come and join us for tea and coffee uh, after the service, especially if you're a visitor today. Uh, we'll have fellowship um, together. Thank you. Thanks.